wasn't. Okay. All right. So hello, everybody. So if I was to give this message today a message, it's called, uh, I would give it a title called Dead or Alive. And um, yeah, there's no better place to start if you're going to share something than if you're going to start with Scripture. So let's start with Scripture. So sorry about the screen up here that's not working. Uh, it seems to be glitching. So you're going to have to strain left or right to, if you want to read Scripture. So let's start with Ephesians 1, 15. And it's, and it's Paul writing to the church, and he, says, and he says this, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is Paul. He's excited. This is something you would say to someone when you want to say to them, man, I'm overjoyed for what I hear and for what I see. He says here, when I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for one another, I give thanks. I don't stop giving thanks. It's like, hallelujah, thank you, God, for what's happening there. I'm so excited. They're getting it. Their faith is strong and their love for one another. It's everything that I could ask for. Hallelujah. Right? Right? And he'd celebrate that. And we should also take the time to celebrate that we also, for our faith and our love for one another, something we can celebrate. Right? But just like, you know, at a wedding, there's noise and everyone's eating and everyone's, you know, there's a big throng and the husband and the wife, the new husband, the new bridal couple are sitting there and there's a, then somebody gets up with a glass and they go, ding, 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 ding. Or even worse, you know, it's not a good, uh, not a good example, but at a, a Roman party where there's dancers and, you know, reveling and everyone's smartly dressed and then they get up with that gong, you know, that big and that gong. Like it stops you in your tracks. Like, oh, what was that? And gong. You're paying attention now, right? It's like somebody needs to say something because they just got, got our attention. And that's what happens when we go from Ephesians 1, where Paul is celebrating, and we go to Ephesians 2. It's like he stops them in their tracks. And in verse 1, we read and he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who all, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And it's like, in, in chapter 1, he's celebrating the wonderful things that are happening in the church. And then he gongs, and he's like, but he calls them to attention. He says, let me remind you of how you were once upon a time. And he speaks of some tough things there. He says, you were dead in your transgressions. You're following the course of the world. And in, and in, in verse 2, he says, um, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of 
And he uses a word there, disobedience. Disobedience is the opposite of obedience. And he says that because you're disobedience, you're actually following the walk of the enemy in your disobedience. And, um, you know, we live in the world today. We see it around us. The sense of, I'm not guilty until I get caught. We live like that, don't we? As long as I get away with it, I'm actually not guilty. Right? So you didn't catch me. And, I, you know, our former president has spent 15 years making sure he never gets his day in court. But he keeps telling us he wants his day in court so he can prove himself innocent. But he spent 15 years making sure that he never gets into court. Why? Because while he's not in court and found guilty, he's innocent. Does his not being found guilty mean he's not guilty? No. If you break the speed limit, but you don't get caught, you're still guilty of breaking the speed limit. If you don't stop at a stop street, or you talk on your cell phone, or you download movies that you don't pay for, or music that you don't pay for, no one busts you. You're still guilty. You know, we have a national um, pastime in this country. It's called avoid paying your taxes. People get paid in cash, they don't declare it. The whole idea is to avoid paying tax as much as you can. It's a national pastime, right? And if you can get away with it, you will. And if they catch you, well, then you'll pay what you need to pay. But heck, if you can get away with it, you're going to. So we live under this false pretense that so long as I'm getting away with it, I'm not guilty. But Paul writes here and he says, but you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. So what's he saying? He says, you haven't been judged yet, but even while you were alive, living in sin, you're dead. What does Romans say? For the wages of sin, the cost, the price of sin is death. We're all destined to die physically. You know, doctors don't know today why we die. See little baby at the back there? One raised little one. Grows up to become a, an adult like us, capable of doing incredible things on computers, comp- capable of writing poetry and beautiful songs and worship, and being able to do such masterful things. And then something switches in our DNA. And you start to get old. Like me. And you start to not be so capable anymore like you used to. And if the doctors could find that genetic switch, they would remove it from every human being because they believe that there's a genetic switch. Somewhere in our genes, if they can switch that switch off, then you can live forever. They're desperately looking for it. But they've forgotten that actually the wages of sin is death. God has built it into our DNA. and You can't remove it. Right? So Paul says, yeah, you were dead in your sins, even though you were alive, even though you were living life to the full, even though you were doing all the things that your heart desired whenever you wanted to and however you wanted to. Actually, you were already dead. But you just hadn't stood before the judge to be condemned. 
And he's actually not even talking about a spiritual death. He's talking uh, uh, a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He says that in your transgressions, you were so dead, even though you were physically alive, when you came, when you were about to come before the king, he was going to say to you, now you're dead. Go to hell. It's a sobering reminder. So Paul celebrates in chapter 1 about the wonderful things the church is doing. But then he says, but I want to remind you of where you were. Dudu preached a few weeks ago, well, it was quite a long preach, of course, on Daniel and Revelation and so forth. Revelation is a book of judgment, isn't it? And it's a book of hope. But it's the stark reminder that Jesus the Lion is coming back to judge the world. But the rest of the New Testament is not Jesus the judge. It's Jesus the gracious one. It's the Jesus that preaches and teaches love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Think about the woman that should have been stoned, the adulteress that should, by law, have been stoned. And he says, after they all walk away, well, if they don't condemn you, neither do I. But what does he say then? He says, go and sin no more. What do you think would have happened to her if she got caught? A week later, in adultery, she'd be dead. She'd be dead. See, God saved her out of her sin and misery and forgave her and then told her to turn away from what she was doing. Don't continue in your death, in your transgressions. You need to not continue. Because if you do, she would have been killed. And he may not have been around to save her the next time around. In Galatians 5, we read about <clears throat> the terrible works of the flesh. And I want to read through them. I know I'm taking this down somewhere because I'm going to take this up. But we need to be reminded of these things. And these are terrible words. Sexual immorality. Porn. Lust. Sleeping around. Fiddling around. Anything that's sexually impure is an abomination to God. Impurity is sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Enmity is opposition, any opposition to God. Is a work of the flesh. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, etc. Talks about idolatry. You know, idolatry is things like gym, sports, laziness, sleeping late. Anything that gets between you and God is idolatrous. Anything. When you don't feel like going to a meeting, when you don't feel like participating, when you don't feel like. You know, the problem with feelings is, can I tell you what I feel like every morning? Staying in bed. Put up your hand if you feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in winter when it's dark, cold, rainy, wet, and you've got to get up and go and wait for a bus or walk somewhere or whatever. I tell you what I feel like. Leave me alone. World, I'm staying right here. I feel like how many days left have I got of sickness? I'm taking this one off. Right? 
If we rule by our feelings, can I tell you what you'll feel like doing? You'll feel like drifting away from church. Because church is hard. You see, this family can't function without all of you. But when we make a call for another meeting or another get-together or another training time or another Saturday or another evangelism or another, I don't feel like it. I want to challenge you. You better put your feelings to death. It's an idol. Can't live by your feelings. Heaven forbid. Do not live because you forced. Do not do church because you forced. Don't. Do it because you want to. But if you find that you don't want to, then you need to go before the Lord and ask Him to reignite your desire. Because if you do it because you have to, you're missing the point. But if you do it because you want to, and that was my fault last year. I wanted to be here. I came here last year when I had, I had COVID one Sunday. Not a euro. I didn't want to miss. I don't know what was happening. Someone else was preaching. I didn't want to miss. I'm not a hero because of it. It's just I wanted to be here. I want to be here. I want to see every one of you on a Sunday or any other time. But all these things are listed. Why? Because Paul says, I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a scary thing to say. But it's a stark reminder. And Paul is going, I'm celebrating what you're doing, but can I remind you where you were? Because there where you were is one step away. If you choose to be in the kingdom because you feel like it, I can tell you in a month's time, in six months' time, you won't feel like it. And you'll drift back into these things. You see, the problem is, is we call Protestants. Do you know that? This is a house of Protestants. But you know what the root word for Protestant is? Protest. See, Martin Luther took a stand against the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church represented everything in his day, in the 1500s, everything except what the Bible said. It was opulent, wealthy, rich, flamboyant, and that wasn't the church that Martin Luther understood. And so he protested against the Catholic Church, and it sparked the Protestant movement. Okay? But in South Africa today, 30 years later into democracy, and I know that the effects of apartheid still linger, but we have revolutionaries still in this country. I'm not sure who they're revolutioning against, because the revolution is over, because we've been in a democracy for 30 years. But sometimes when you're a protester, you want to stay a protester. Does that make sense? Because it's nice to protest. You know, 35 years ago, we were burning tires and closing roads and so forth, and we're still doing it today. You're like, shouldn't we have moved on? Shouldn't we be sending a message through our vote, which is a far better weapon than destroying the roads, actually? But we haven't, society hasn't moved on to understand the power of the vote. But Paul's calling us to move on. And how does he do it? Well, he says in Hebrews 13, 7, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. For they keep watches over you as men who must keep, as people who must keep, uh, give an account. Now, I've always highlighted the second part of that scripture, as men who must give an account. 
I take responsibility for every one of you. And that's why I love to come here on a Sunday and to see you in the week. Because then I know how you're doing, right? But Paul says at the beginning there, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because we're a body. And if we don't function together as a body, then the body doesn't function. You see, a leader that takes, that goes to lead people and no one's following is actually just somebody going for a walk. I've said that before. If I'm supposed to lead and I go out, let's go, guys. Hello? Where's anyone? I'm not much of a leader, am I? Okay? But in church, we don't dictate. Don't follow me because I dictate. But back in Ephesians 2, we, wrote, we read about the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you've got to be honest with yourself. If you're not obedient, then what are you? Then you're being disobedient. And Paul's talking about the spirit, the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan himself. And so, there's an aspect of obedience required in our lives as Christians. I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit. Andrew posted something this week, and he said... um, He spoke about how this expression is so abused today. And the expression is the finished work of the cross. I don't know if any of you read it. And it's abused because the expression on its own is true. Let's be very clear. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he paid the final and ultimate price for our sin once and for all. He completed the law. He paid a price that God the Father needed to be paid that you and I cannot pay. And in doing so, he set up a way for us to receive salvation and spend eternity in heaven. Only Jesus. There is no other man that ever can or ever will do what he did. The finished work of the cross. Be very clear. The reason why that expression gets exploited, abused, and distorted is that it then suggests that you have nothing to do. That Jesus did everything and you don't have to do anything. And that's a lie. And I'm going to show you in Scripture now. And I'll start with a picture. How are we doing for time? Because I can start smelling that soup. Kanivachni. There's a thing called via ferrata. It's Italian, and it means, literally, iron way or iron road. And I want to show you some pictures, and you pop them up. This is Via Ferrata. It's mostly in the Dolomite uh, Mountains in Europe, and these are pre-set um, up routes which you can follow. Now, I can't see too many of you getting excited about that. I see Caleb getting excited a little bit, but... It, and, and you, you literally have to wear a harness, and you have two carabiners, 
which connect you to a steel cable. And every time you get to a point where there's a, a spike into the rock, you have to undo one carabiner and move it past the spike, onto the, and then you undo the... And if you unclip both and you fall, you're dead. Okay, it's real exciting. And you follow these pathways, if you can call them pathways, up and down, you, you follow on um, uh, steel cables. Can you see? You're walking on, uh, those are rungs, steel rungs that have been put. There you're traversing from one rock to the other. You're walking on a cable and you're connected to two other cables. Can you see? Two carabiners connected to the cable and you're climbing up. Can you see behind her there's steel rungs in the, in the rock? And you, you step on those, right? Looks like fun. Who's keen? My hands are sweating right now. I don't know about yours. Now, the reason I've shown, thanks, um, Amma, you can take them off. So, it's a route, it's a pathway that's been prepared, right? I want you to see the similarity, the finished work of the cross. It took professional mountaineers to put those rungs into the rock. It took professional mountaineers to put those cables in place, make sure that they're secure, make sure that it's safe for people to follow. But those professional mountaineers don't carry you from beginning to end. If you choose to do that route, you have to do it. The finished work of the cross is exactly the same thing. It's like Christ has prepared a route for us to follow, but we have to walk it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says the road is narrow. You don't walk that carabiner route two, three abreast. You walk alone. Right? But you have to walk it. And while you're walking it, the wind will blow and the sun will shine and the rain might come and the snow might come and so forth and so forth. But the route will take you from here to the finish line, to the end. Jesus has prepared a way. For each and every one of us to walk. He's prepared the way, the road for us to walk. Okay? And the length, the distance of that road is, re is relative to the time that you have left in this life. See, the guy hanging on the cross that recognized him as the Messiah didn't have much of a life left, did he? Pretty much died that afternoon. His road was very short. Maybe you've got 50 years ahead of you. Praise God. Well, that means you've got 50 years of carabiners, of walking carefully so you don't slip, of making sure you're hooked on, of staying focused, of surviving in the storms that come and the slippery times that come and the rain that comes and all the things that life throws at you because Jesus says, I've prepared the way and I'm waiting for you at the end. But you have to walk it. He didn't do it for you. And he will not do it for you, but he'll be with you. He's there to guide you. He's there to walk with you. And I'll show you this in Scripture. In 2 Timothy 1, Paul writes, and he says, For this reason, I also suffer these things nevertheless. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to 
until that day. See, Paul writes and he says, I trust in him to carry me, to show me the way, to highlight the way. But he doesn't do it for me. And then in verse 4, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. What is he saying? I've done something. I fought the fight. He says, I've finished the race. I didn't sit there and wait for the truck to pick me up and carry me when everyone else. He says, I have finished this race. I've run it. I've worked it through. And he says, I've kept the faith. I don't sit there going, oh, just give me faith. No, I kept, I held on to something that God gave me. This requires an effort from us. It's not something that God does for us. But he promises to be with us. It's not what we feel. We have to make the effort. In John 15, this is the greatest uh, uh, example where Jesus himself says, listen to these three words, abide in me. Not when you feel come and go, like maybe, no, stay bound to me. Stay in me. And you go on and he says, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. No, it has to abide in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. This is Jesus speaking. Say, you need to make the effort. Make sure you stay in me. If you don't stay in me, what happens? You're going to die. We have to stay in him. It's an effort on our part. Our faith is this continual journey of trust and obedience. Trusting the cable, trusting that these things won't give way as we find our way along. This, Jesus, is this still the way? Yes. And which way must I go? This way. Oh, Saturday afternoon. Oh, Sunday morning. Oh, another, why another two nights, another Tuesday night, Thursday night? Oh, because if we're not going to be obedient in this house, I would say to you, then be obedient in the church that God wants you. And if it's not this church, no problem. If you're going to find another church, then go and find another church. But make sure you're obedient there. Because your obedience is something God's looking at. I don't want to look at it. I just want to go, guys, we're going to go this way. And I just want to hope and trust that everyone is behind me. Because I don't want to look around and go, where's so and 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 so. Because if you're not part of this, no problem. But wherever you go, go and be obedient. Because God requires it. Because if Paul writes and says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority, he means it. Why? Because God's appointed them over you. And whether it's me or Pierre or another congregation or another church is of no consequence to me. It's of every consequence to you. Does that make sense? So I never want to lord this over you. But I want to know that if I say we're going this way, we're all covered. Because that's good for you. Amen? Okay. So. That should be our heart posture. So I want to land with this. Okay. I want to bring it to a land. So we are read. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, right? And he's reminding us of, oh, the terrible things that we've escaped from. And then he goes on and he says, 
in the next verse, verse 4, he says, wait, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. There we go. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, with which he loved us. Stop there for a moment. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave up his only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The rich, merciful love of God. You know that God didn't give up his son on the cross for the world. He gave up his son on the cross so that those that believe in him in the world can receive salvation, can be forgiven, can have eternal life. God didn't love the world. He doesn't love the world and its sin. He loves the people in the world so much. He says, I've given you a way, my son, to come to me. Do you understand? There's a subtle difference. This the world gets carried away. Oh, God loves me. No, he doesn't. He hates your sin. But he wants you to accept his son as his savior. Because that's where the glory is. That's where our hope is. So in Ephesians 2 verse 4, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Hallelujah. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and then seated us. Now, this is Paul talking 2000 years ago, right? And he says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages, yes, in 2023, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you show us your immeasurable grace through your son, Christ Jesus. We see it today, as Paul saw 2,000 years ago, we see it today that you saved us, even today. And then he says again, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, not your own doing. It's a gift from God. And what do we say? Thank you, Lord, for your gift. What can I give you? Nothing. Thank you for your gift. There's nothing I can do or say. Thank you that you give me this wonderful gift of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. And I can do nothing to earn it. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We have no boast. For we are his, now listen to this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ah, we're not saved by good works, are we? We can do nothing. But man, we're saved for a purpose. God has a purpose for you. And I loved what Robin said in the prayer meeting. She spoke about our talents. And our talents is to serve on AV and to serve on sound and on worship. And these, are, and these should be easy things to do, but they're not gifts. God gives us gifts to serve in this body, to serve in this church and outside of this church. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, pre- which God prepared beforehand. He has a plan and a purpose for every single one of you. To do what? Do. Good things. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we should walk in them. 
We're not designed. It's not your good works that God's intended. It's His good works. It's not your good works. And some of us, sometimes we think, oh, we're charitable. I give money and I help out here and I do this and I do that. And God says, well, that's what you want to do. But what did I want you to do? Are you listening to what I want you to do? And you know where it starts? It starts in this house. Lord, am I faithful here? If I'm not faithful here, forget about being faithful out there. Does that make sense? God says, I've got plans for you. Will you do what I want you to do? Not what you want to do. He's not upset when you do what you want to do. But I can tell you something. He'll be happier when you do what he wants you to do. And we need to seek him out for that. But it starts with obedience in this house. It starts with cohesion in this house. And I started this message by saying, I love the vibe that's here. I really do. I think that this family here, there is an incredible relational cohesion that exists. And I love it. Week after week after week after week. But we can never sit back and go, we got it. No, we never got it. We've got to keep, 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 on, keep on along that. Oh, no, no, click, no, not yet clicked on properly. Then unclick, click. Whew, like, whoa, don't look down. Oh, don't look that way. Oh, there's another. Oh, now I've got to go across the wire. It's too hard. One step at a time. That's what God's calling us to. Why? Because Jesus is waiting at the end. But he hasn't forsaken us along the way. It's like, come. You're nearly there. Come. Keep going. That's where we're going. Come, I'm waiting for you. Your name's written in my book. We nearly finished. Come on. Whoa, watch your step. Hold on. You haven't clipped. Come on. Yes, nearly. Just don't look down. Look up. Come on. Don't be a spectator. Lots of spectators today who love watching online. Everything's online. And they just find the next best thing that scratches their itchy ears. Don't be a spectator. We're called to be relational with one another. I don't think spectators are called, are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. We're not supposed to be comfortable or convenient. We're called to die to the passions of this world and to live a full life. Amen? Can I pray? Father God, you, your word is a sobering reminder all the time that you want so much for us. And it's not always what we want. It's what you want. And I pray, Lord, that you today would meet each and every one of us right now, Lord, that you would convict each and every one of us wherever we at, Lord. If your word is true, which it is, it says, you know the hairs on our head. Yeah, some of us don't have many and, and some have many. But the fact that you know that, Lord, means that you know intimately where we are in our heart space. 
You know whether we are on fire, whether we're charged up for you, or whether we're just sitting on the, on the edge watching, Lord. I pray this afternoon, Lord, that this word would cut us to the heart where we're at and draw us into more of you, Lord. Not collectively. Yes, we are called to be collectively, Lord, but it's not about one hiding behind another. That we stand before you alone, naked, and you know us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this word would draw every one of us into more of you. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Draw us, stir us, Lord, for a heart that desires more of you, more of your presence. And that would overflow, Lord, into more of us, Lord. Jesus, you said, and they came to you, said, your mom and your brothers are outside. You said, who are they? They're just my blood family. My real family are those that do the will of the Father. And Lord, that's us in this room. We want to do the will of the Father, Lord. But Lord, unite us that we truly would understand that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that actually this is our family. This is the people we get to spend eternity with, Lord. The people we will see forever. So Lord, come. Unite us as one in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I've actually just been feeling this for, for a couple of weeks now. Um, when we make a call for like people who haven't ever given their lives to the Lord, just been feeling this stirring that there's maybe one or two of us that have done that at one time, but we know like our heart is is far away from the Lord. Yeah, and I I would just say like yeah, just even felt that maybe there's people that come to church and that are here every week and you know how to do the worship and you know how to. But actually, that that and I actually want to close my eyes. I don't want to make eye contact with anyone. Um, yeah, that there's actually that that connection. If you're looking at that iron road, that you've actually unclipped yourself, and you you kind of like climbing freehand, and everyone around you thinks that you are still clipped to the iron road, but you're actually actually going your own way, actually trying to climb freehand and just stay in the mix. And I feel like God is just, this is a warning to say, you need to be clipped. You need to be clipped in to that iron road because, yes, up to this point, I've been merciful to you and I've given you the strength to kind of freehand. But, but you can't do that forever. You need to be clipped in. And so, I'd ask if there's anyone like that who's, who's just saying, okay, God, it's me, and I don't actually even know if I want to come back to you. I, I don't even know if things can can change, but I know that I'm in danger, and I want to be clipped back in, and I don't want to walk the way that I used to walk um, because I don't even know if that, that actually worked. If I was I even clipped in properly, but God, I want to come back today. Is anyone like that? I, I just ask you, invite you to just raise your hand so we can pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you for you are those two people that are just responding. Oh, thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. God, I, I pray that just as even with myself, where I gave my life to the Lord and kind of drifted away and and there was this moment of coming back. And, and I pray that just like in that time before, where I kind of thought I gave my life to the Lord and I didn't gain understanding, but then that second time, God, there were people around me who were able to teach me and give me understanding of and, and help me to know how to clip in and, and, and stay clipped in and walk. I pray that as they've recommitted their lives tonight, and they've said, Jesus, I don't know how to do this. I pray that you, that you would enlighten them today, God. And that as they walk now and every day, that, they, that, that there would be a greater revelation, that they would learn the nuts and bolts of clicking on and walking on, on, on this iron way and walking this narrow road. So God, we bless them, we bless them, we bless them. We want to even commit as a family that we will come around and we will say, okay, what, what was lacking um, in your doctrine? I pray for the Priscilla's and Aquilas to rise up in this place and, just, and to add to them what was missing in their doctrine that, that, that got them off course. So we want to come around you as a family today and we want to say, God, God, use us. Use us, Lord, as they commit themselves that we would also participate in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, can, um, yeah, can maybe two of you guys take away after, after service? And if there's anyone else here that maybe didn't feel bold enough to lift your hand or raise your hand, if you and maybe just come and chat to Robin or chat to one of the leaders and after service. And I wouldn't want you to leave here with, without um, yeah, get, just getting the opportunity to, to make right with the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Awesome. You wanna we're going to break bread. So we're going to break bread. Well, kind of. Why don't you stand? You know, I, I think back to the time of Christ and the, and the Last Supper. And it was exactly that. It was a meal. He sat with his uh, disciples around the table and broke bread. And I mean, we know that he was facing imminent death on the cross. But Jesus' command at the time was, do this in memory of me, right? And so we tried last week with soup and bread, and that fell flat. And so, but tonight it was raining, and that's wonderful. And so we've got some fresh soup. And, uh, and rolls, and we want you to eat all of it, because we don't want to have to take anything home. So, uh, and Lindsay's heated it up over there for us, so hopefully it's all good tonight. So let's just commit this time. That Lord, even as we now um, partake together as a family, Lord, uh, soup and bread, it's not quite uh, bread and wine, but Lord, we do this in memory of you, Lord. We celebrate and, we, and we, uh, we commit that, Lord, just we think, remember that night, that fateful night where the disciples didn't know what was coming. And we have the, the value and the benefit of looking back and knowing what it was all about. But they didn't, Lord. But it was the precursor, Lord, to the greatest act in history. The precursor to your terrible death, your terrible suffering and death on the cross, Lord. To pay for something, Lord, that we would never, ever be able to pay for ourselves. 
And so tonight, even as we enjoy this time of fellowship and this bread and the soup together, Lord, we do this in memory of you, Lord. We say, Lord, that that holy, holy time there, that would you be with us and be amongst us, Lord, and really just um, unite us, Lord, in fellowship as we do this together as a family. So, Lord, we bless this food to our bodies. We thank you, Lord, for the provision, and we ask, Lord, that you come be again with us, Lord. Just continue with your presence, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. There is a, so just on a practical, there is a container somewhere there. If you, uh, 